Chapter Thirty of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Thirty, Tilbury Steeplechase. The guests assembled at the How soon divide themselves into sections or groups like the various members of the lower animal creation mr and mrs chasubel draw around them the more seriously minded of the younger visitors lavinia cardinal cecilia hawtrey who has a poetical mind and is anglican to the verge of romanism laura and mary radnor who are great upon church decoration and choir singing and some others General MacTower attracts the young men, as it were, into a focus of sporting talk, varied with anecdotes of the London world, which, according to the general, is about as vile a world as could well exist without calling down a burning, fiery rain for its destruction. Sir Wilford contrives to be attentive to all his guests, but shows himself so particular in his devotion to Sybil that other people cannot afford to be uncivil to her even were they disposed to snub so lovely a girl the matrons and their daughters admit the fact of miss faunthorpe's beauty but with certain reservations they admire her complexion but opine that its transparent purity of tint argues a consumptive tendency and what a dreadful thing for poor sir wilford to marry a consumptive wife my dear says mrs radnor in an awful voice and to have consumptive children adds her daughter laura poor little dears exclaims miss hawtrey compassionating the sorrows of these unborn infants in advance i think it quite wicked of consumptive people to marry don't you mrs radnor yes my love there ought to be a law against it what pretty manners miss faunthorpe has remarks mrs vernon whose daughter possesses every attraction except good looks and agreeable manners so sweet so caressing but don't you think i hardly like to say it for it sounds so uncharitable and i should be the last to say anything uncharitable after dear mr chasubel's moving discourse this morning don't you think she seems rather artful as deep as garrick says the outspoken mrs radnor she actually seems to discourage sir wilford's attentions quite pretends to avoid him makes believe to prefer ladies society when we all know that she must be delighted at the idea of making such a brilliant match when we know that the girl is brought here on purpose to marry him rejoins mrs radnor the old uncle has set his heart upon it of course and will leave her the whole of his property to the detriment of her two sisters there's another girl at redcastle mrs stormont tells me very unjust i call it this conversation takes place on sunday afternoon in a cosy circle round the morning-room fire while sibyl and some of the younger guests are walking in the park sunday evening affords an opportunity for the display of musical genius or talent as the case may be and after the daughters of the land have done the most they can with miss lindsay's sacred ballads beethoven mozart 
mendelssohn and chopin sibyl takes her turn at the instrument and surpasses all her forerunners not so much by the brilliancy of her singing or playing as by the thought and feeling which pervade both in the long empty days at lancaster lodge her piano has been her friend and companion the confidant of all her vague regrets and fears her sorrowful love for her absent husband memory and hope have spoken to her in many a tender strain of mozart's in the deeper pathos of beethoven or mendelssohn's dreamy melody sir wilford cardinal knows very little about music save that of his hounds giving tongue in the chill morning air that blows over heath and moor but he is not the less pleased that sibyl should excel in the musical line his future wife ought to be an accomplished person he is glad too that she should take the shine out of phoebe and vinnie neither of them highly gifted by apollo though both have laboured hard and flourished at a quickish pace through unmelodious fantasias arpeggioing up and down the piano with a movement which their brother calls a rough gallop altogether sibyl is a success at the how no one can dispute that marion looks on and wonders at her sister's calm acceptance of the general homage she wears her honours as to the manner born while marion feels overpowered with shyness all through that aristocratic sabbath and says thank you for everything from an introduction or a compliment to the too hasty removal of her plate by an all-accomplished serving-man by monday morning however even marion is quite at her ease save for an inward awe of phoebe and lavinia who behind their brother's back give her a little of the deotamba manner by which intrusive commoners are crushed but fred stormont takes her under his protection and finding sibyl unapproachable amidst her various admirers consoles himself with a mild flirtation with marion to which even his watchful parent reconciles herself reflecting that after all a dower of five thousand pounds or possibly ten is better than nothing and that no heiress being forthcoming dear frederick might make marion happy by proposing to her after breakfast on monday there is a general inspection of the stables at which even mr chasubel the high church parson assists and in the course of which he entertains the company with anecdotes of his hard riding days at oxford and his prowess in the hunting field the horses are led out for admiration and the guests commit themselves to various opinions at which the nether lips of the yorkshire grooms work convulsively in the respectful endeavour to avoid a grin tuesday is race day and there is a consultation as to how people are to go the faster of the party including all the young ladies inclining to the saddle the middle-aged and portly being satisfied with a seat on the drag or in miss cardonnel's barouche you will ride of course says sir wilford to frederick oh by all means i shall go on the dutchman here he is poor old fellow looking as fresh as paint an officious boy has just led the bony grey into the quadrangle where every eye is now directed to him why where the deuce did you get that beast from cardinal cries general mactower 
as the lad whisks off the dutchman's cheeked raiment and exhibits his angular haunches and dejected neck never saw such a screw in your stable it is mr stormont's horse said the boy grinning beg your pardon stormont says the general i dare say he looks better in action very good for leather no doubt he may not be much to look at says fred wounded yet apologetic but he's a devil to go i dare say those bony ones are sometimes well stormont you'll ride the dutchman resumes sir wilford that's capital you can take care of miss marion faunthorpe ah <sighs> delighted i'm sure gasps fred with an inward sinking he knows too well that on the dutchman he has enough to do to take care of himself and that a whole hunting field might be spilt around him without his being able to afford to help the fallen you haven't ridden much lately i think you told me miss marion says sir wilford to that young lady who has been going into raptures about all the horses with long mane and sleek skins not since i was quite a little thing but i idolize riding and you'll not be afraid to ride tilbury to-morrow it's a nice quiet road i shall like it of all things very well chanter you must find me a safe mount for this young lady she hasn't been riding much lately one of the old ones eh sir wilford yes old and steady but something good to look at you know oh there's brown fixture sir wilford an uncommon good oss and safe as a church yes fixture'll do nothing like an old steeplechaser fixture's as steady as a christian says the groom and such a memory too nobody think ow that horse do remember he ain't forgot the day he bolted with jem kirk though it's nigh seven year ago he never do pass that corner of the eath but what he'll prick up his old ears and stick em backwards and give a bit of a quiver as if he'd like to have another lark well he mustn't have any larks with miss faunthorpe says sir wilford lord bless you no sir wilford that's seven year ago fixtures as steady as a house the smallest of our boys rides him beautiful well miss marion i think you'll be safe on fixture especially with stormont to take care of you marion looks gratefully at frederick with a vague idea that he is going to escort her with a leading rein and that under his care she would be safe upon the winner of the ledger and now let's have a look at juno says wilford that's the mare i mean for you miss faunthorpe and i think every one will allow she's a perfect beauty my sister phoebe wants her badly but i'm afraid of phoebe's eleven stone that substantially built damsel gives her brother an indignant look at this brutal remark which could only come from one's own flesh and blood when i want a horse i shan't ask you to choose him for me wilford she says juno is led forth and unveiled a chestnut glossy as the nut itself when it bursts from its green casing and beautiful in form with a small head and a greek profile oxeyed like her mighty namesake how lovely exclaim all the young ladies envying sibyl this selection of the best horse in the stud for miss faunthorpe is tantamount to a proposal thinks every one and from this time forward sibyl is regarded as the future lady cardinal and honoured accordingly 
has he or has he not proposed the council of matrons ask one another by and by in the comfortable morning-room where they have assembled to write their letters and read the newspapers the majority opine that the offer has been made and accepted and that mr trenchard is here to arrange about settlements phoebe cardonnel must know hazards mrs Charlesabel, this conversation taking place in the absence of the miss cardonnels who are playing billiards with their younger guests she may but she's such a reserved girl there's no getting anything out of her and as it's evident that she and lavinia hate the idea of their brothers marrying it's a subject we can't approach very well i feel sure he has proposed says mrs radnor he looks as if it was a settled thing he may have settled it all in his own mind but not yet declared himself responds mrs chasubel he must know that there is no chance of rejection mrs chasubel is right sir wilford is fixed as fate but has not yet found an opportunity to ask the fatal question sibyl is always in a crowd she contrives to avoid anything approaching a tete-a-tete and a man can hardly propose during a game of pyramids or on a crowded drag with a spirited team in his hand or as he hands his beloved a cup of tea at kettledrum time or on the stairs or in church sir wilford bides his time therefore and is patient the important tuesday is a fine clear day with a high wind but no frost tilbury races begin at half-past one so there is no time for luncheon at the how and a necessity for picnic baskets on the drag very much to the delight of all the younger guests who prefer to take their refreshment uncomfortably out of doors to the commonplace convenience of the dining-room at a quarter before one the horses and carriages are brought round to the porch and marion in a borrowed habit and chimney-pot hat which is balanced rather hazardly on a small mountain of padded hair awaits with some faint apprehension her first ride on anything larger than tommy the old pony she's not yet seen brown fixture and as she stands on the top step with fred stormont at her side she surveys the animals timorously there is juno satin-skinned and proud of bearing arching her graceful neck and gazing pensively at the company with her ox eyes pawing the ground a little with one delicate hoof as if eager to take flight and here is sibyl looking her prettiest a small slender prettiness in neatly fitting riding habit and hat poised at exactly the right angle sir wilford is at hand to mount her and there is the usual careful adjustment of stirrup and skirt curb and snaffle i wonder which is my horse says marion with an appealing look at mr stormont which is fixed your boy asks fred of an attendant lad this here sir answers the youth this here is the animal in his charge a tall brute with a neck a yard long and in the language of the stable too much daylight underneath good gracious cries marion appalled at the aspect of this animal am i to go up there he's a big one isn't he responds fred capital stride i should think you get over plenty of ground in his gallop looks like an old steeplechaser doesn't he 
she looks very dreadful says marion dubiously oh you needn't be afraid of him he's steady enough depend upon it sir wilford's head man wouldn't put you on an unsafe horse well, i hope not says marion but you'll take care of me won't you mr stormont i'll do my best answers fred ah here's the dutchman rather fresh i'm afraid this last remark has reference to an uncouth attempt of the dutchman to back into an adjacent shrubbery on being dragged out of which he entangles himself clumsily with the other horses the drag and barouche have driven off by this time and everybody is mounted except marion and her swain mounting marion upon fixture is not the easiest operation in mechanics she gives a tremendous spring but always at the wrong moment and after two or three false starts she is hoisted to a level with fixture's saddle only to remain there suspended in mid-air until allowed to slide gently to earth again i'm afraid i'm not a good hand at mounting a lady murmurs the patient frederick after he has made himself almost apoplectic in the endeavour and now an experienced groom comes forward tells marion exactly at what angle to put her left leg and throws her up into the saddle as if she were a ball gracious she exclaims i'm here at last but oh how high it is she surveys the earth beneath her with a sense of awe it is like being on a mountain top and not half so safe she gives a little cry of surprise when fixture begins to move as if motion were the last thing one might expect from a horse the rest of the riders have gone down the avenue sir wilford riding bull of bashan keeping close by sybil on juno frederick now clambers upon the dutchman who to the last moment struggles to elude his half-proprietor as if desirous to prove that a horse cannot serve two masters fixture caracoles gently upon the gravel sweep while fred is mounting but even these gentle movements strike terror to the unaccustomed soul of marion i'm afraid he's very spirited she remarks to one of the grooms lord mum he's nigh twelve year old there's none too much spirit in him you'd best ride him on the curb if you're any ways timid which is the curb inquires marion the man shows her and adjusts her reins which she has been clutching in her right hand in an inextricable tangle but do you think i can manage him with the reins in my left hand she asks it seems so left-handed i'm afraid i shan't have any power over him you can hold on with both hands if you're timorsome miss but the lighter you handle fixture the better he's got a very nice mouth and he don't stand being sawed at ride him on the curb if you like but let your and follow his ed this language is as dark as hebrew to marion she has but one thought and that is that she would fain be at rest in the barouche or the drag nay safe at home in the obscurity of domestic life with cross hester and impertinent jane anywhere anywhere off the back of brown fixture who has just caught sight of some obnoxious object and has made himself into an arch from which marion feels as if she were sliding fred has now brought the dutchman so far into subjection as to turn his nose toward the avenue and fixture being clutched and jerked in the same direction by marion 
the two set out as uncomfortable a couple as ever enjoyed the delights of equestrian exercise when they are well out of earshot the grooms and boys burst into a simultaneous guffaw after this we must have some beer says the headman i'm blessed if ever i see such a brace of cockneys i ain't had such a laugh since chrysalmas fixture proves himself worthy of his reputation and goes down the avenue with an amiable sobriety nay would be perfect in his conduct were it not for that brute the dutchman who shies at the sight of a rabbit wheels around altogether at sight of a rook and otherwise disgraces himself by convulsive movements and collapses which disturb fixtures equanimity though he evidently regards them with contempt the brown horse behaves so well however that when they've walked down the avenue and emerged upon the road marion begins to feel quite easy in her mind and to think that after all she really does dote upon riding but for the dutchman's evil example fixture would behave admirably all the way to tilbury a nice level road with little to alarm a reasonable equine mind the dutchman is however a creature without reasonableness of mind and contrives to see objects of horror in the clearest road whereby marion is every now and then startled from her equanimity by a sudden bouncing of mr stormont's horse against hers a movement by which she narrowly escaped being pushed into a ditch isn't your horse a little wrong in his mind mr stormont she asks after one of these encounters he puts his ears back in such a dreadful way and starts and plunges so awfully only high spirit replies fred all thoroughbreds do it well then i think i'd rather ride an unthoroughbred says marion when they have walked for about half a mile frederick suggests a gentle trot to which proposal marion acquiesces smilingly but the very beginning of the gentle trot makes her breathless and she finds herself jerked about in her saddle in a most ferocious way she holds on to the reins however with both hands and endures stoutly till fred in charity reins in the dutchman whereupon fixture stops as if some spring had been touched in his eternal economy and nearly pitches marion out of the saddle by the suddenness of his stoppage i'm afraid you don't quite enjoy trotting says fred marion pants for a little while struggling with the innumerable hairpins which sustain her pyramid of plates before she can recover breath enough to answer i dare say it's very nice she replies at last but it jerks one don't you think perhaps fixture is not a good trotter i think if you were to rise with him and sit a little more in the middle of your saddle you might find it more comfortable suggests frederick do you think so i'll try next time fred endeavours to explain the theory of trotting which although he has not quite conquered the practice is firmly impressed upon his mind now he says flattering himself that he has made it all clear suppose we try again a shake of the reins makes the dutchman lunge violently forward as if he wanted to dash his brains out upon the road and starts fixture in a really delightful trot if poor marion only knew it she bobs up and down as if she were bathing but when she rises the horse doesn't and the effect is even more jerky than before she is just beginning to despair when the red glow of a cottage fire shining through an open door appalls the dutchman's soul 
and sends him into a wild canter in which fixture immediately joins the horses tear along the road like a herd of swine driven down a steep place and marion frightened but rather enjoying the swinging pace finds herself rising in her saddle as high as any one could desire inspired by the clatter of their hoofs the brutes rush on for some distance fred as powerless to pull up the dutchman as he would be to stop a steam engine at express pace or stay the passage of the north wind when the horses have had enough they stop i think i rose pretty well then remarks marion self-complacently just now when you were cantering yes but you oughtn't rise in the canter you know says fred you must sit as if you were part of your horse sit down on him and ride him as the jockeys say good gracious it's very puzzling exclaims marion all practice you must contrive to ride more yes i should like it above all things uncle trenchard has bought sybil a horse but i am not so favoured ah it's a good thing to be the favourite isn't it that canter has brought them nearly to the race-course they overtake the rest of their party sybil looking as cool and comfortable upon juno as if she were sitting in her favourite easy-chair at lancaster lodge while marion is painfully conscious that the last half-hour's unaccustomed exercise has made an object of her how have you enjoyed your ride asks sybil coming to her side oh pretty well replies marion rather crossly i'm not accustomed to riding like you you know i haven't a horse of my own isn't my hair dreadful it's rather rough but that doesn't matter oh not in the least to you how do you like fixture asks sir wilford coming up to them very well thank you but i think he uses the wrong legs when he trots tilbury racecourse is a long strip of meadowland by the side of a river rather a dreary scene on a grey winter's day were it not for the carriages horses tax carts and various vehicles which enliven it and the eager crowd on foot sir wilford and his party are the most important group upon the ground the rest of the assembly consisting chiefly of tenant farmers and their families with a sprinkling of the redcastle tradespeople and a few smart carriages belonging to the manufacturing classes chiefly noticeable for the newness of their harness the splendour of their liveries and the indifferent quality of their horses sir wilford pats fixture's neck with a friendly air as he stands beside marion poor old fixture capital fellow he used to be six or seven years ago i've ridden him many a time over this very course won a cup with him once poor old chap i wonder if he remembers where's the steeple sir wilford asks marion looking round at the landscape the what the steeple it's a steeplechase isn't it sir wilford smiles at the damsel's innocence steeplechase across country you know and all that there's no necessity for a steeple oh i thought you chose a steeple and then rode straight to it over hedges and ditches and everything we've sunk the steeple but we go over the hedges and ditches there's the saddling bell yes fixture does remember i wish she didn't says marion nervously as the animal pricks up his ears and begins to curvet in a restless manner which makes it rather difficult to hold him the equestrians are drawn up in a line by the side of the race-course 
there are no railings to divide the course from the rest of the meadow it is only marked out by a line of sods turned up by the spade and a post at intervals the timber jumps are by no means desperate and are well guarded by furze bushes the water jump is a muddy ditch about twenty feet broad i wish you'd hold him for me says marion appealing to mr stormont he's been so dreadfully excited since that bell rang fred clutches at fixture's rein for a minute or so and tries at the same time to soothe the dutchman who has just expressed his antipathy to a very small child in a pinafore eating a large piece of parliament fixture shuffles about a little and then seems to grow calm sir wilford and his party ride up and down impatient for the beginning of the sport marion and her protector keep together by the course the bell rings again louder this time there is a gust of excitement in the very wind the signal is given the gaily coloured jackets blaze out against the cold grey sky the horses are off with a rush fixture following them he has stood like a statue to see them go by then as they passed him he has gathered himself together and pursued them like a maniac the old steeplechaser has not forgotten his trade there is a cry of horror from sir wilford and his party a roar half terror half laughter from the crowd as marion is borne along her arms frantically encircling the animal's neck her plates flying in the wind her shrill shrieks ringing out upon the air she drops something at every stage of her journey first her whip then her handkerchief then her hat then one of the plates an artificial enrichment which she has deemed a necessary appendage to a very good head of hair on flies fixture struggling for a place feeling that he must win or perish in the attempt marion with her face buried in his mane sees nothing knows nothing except that she is miraculously holding on somehow and that sudden death is imminent the timber jump is before them and the spectators hold their breaths anticipating a fearful fall perhaps a deadly one when sir wilford gallops across on bull of bashan and contrives to catch fixture's bridle just as he is lifting himself to the leap the old steeplechaser swings on one side and lands marion comfortably on the turf where she lies motionless till kindly hands raise her she is only stunned and comes to her senses after a minute or so to find herself the centre of a sympathetic crowd poor dear says a woman she did hold on well didn't she it was beautiful sybil is on the scene by this time and dismounts to assist the followed one you're not hurt are you dear she inquires anxiously i don't know whereabouts it is replies marion clutching her dishevelled plates but i feel as if i was all but killed somewhere brandy flasks are produced and the sufferer is persuaded to take two or three sips of the spirit back all right i hope says sir wilford who has delivered over the excited fixture to a groom i feel as limp as if it was broken replies marion when did i fall was it the day before yesterday or longer ago than that my love it was just this minute then i've had a long dream replies marion putting her hand to her head such a long dream i feel as if i had been riding steeplechases on horrid runaway horses for the last three weeks 
i shall never forgive myself for putting you on fixture says sir wilford with a conscience-stricken air but i really thought he was the quietest old horse in the stable oh i don't mind it a bit answers marion who enjoys being the object of general attention in fact i rather like it it's very exciting you know uncommonly mutters sir wilford who has had as bad a fright as he ever experienced in his life i thought you were done for when he came to that fence if it hadn't been for the bull well we won't talk about it here a small boy brings marion the fallen plate of false hair which looks something like a defunct snake as he hands it to her whereat there is a faint titter after twisting herself about in the arms of her supporters marion announces that she has no bones broken to her knowledge my spine may go all wrong to-morrow and make me a cripple for life she says but i think i can walk now shall i mount you again ma'am asks the groom who is holding fixture that quadruped is bathed in perspiration stands like a block of wood and droops his head despondingly as if fully aware that he has made a fool of himself you might ride him home safe enough ma'am he's quiet now what get upon him again cries marion no thank you bring her the barouche says sir wilford and marion is led to that vehicle where the miss cardinals inform her that they've been suffering agonies of anxiety on her behoof though neither they nor mr and mrs radnor have left their seats we knew we could be no use phoebe remarks apologetically and we should have only increased the confusion if we had come to you it's such a dangerous thing to ride when one is not used to it remarks vinnie soothingly wilford ought to have known better than to put you on that dreadful old horse marion who felt herself a person of importance amidst the crowd on the race-course shrinks into dire insignificance amongst these fine ladies in the carriage she is screwed in bodkin between phoebe and mrs radnor she knows she is looking an object in her battered hat and disordered tresses and she can see nothing whatever of the race the four ladies talk their usual family talk of uncles and cousins nephews and nieces and people they know discuss the domestic affairs of the niece who is just married review the prospects of the nephew who is going to marry talk about the cousin who has just had a baby and the unjust will of the uncle lately deceased until marion absolutely wishes herself away from these privileged ones and thinks how nice it would be to be reading a novel on the parlor sofa at uncle robert's the sofa wheeled cosily up to the fire and jenny kneeling on the hearth toasting muffins if my back is broken it'll be a comfort to be a doctor's niece she tells herself consolingly it is dusk when the last race is run and the how party turn their faces homeward a three-mile ride in the winter twilight lies between them and kettledrum an excellent opportunity for a tete-a-tete with sybil thinks sir wilford who has found it impossible to secure half an hour of that young lady's society at the how there she is always surrounded he contrives to leave the course close at her side and to keep well in front of the other equestrians bull is quiet enough now and quite content to lapse into a lazy walk having been indulged with half a dozen tearing gallops across the level ground near the race-course 
juno and bull step side by side solemnly as a pair of flemish funeral horses which have never done anything but black work since they were foaled it is a fine level road a copse on one side the moor upon the other wintry stars begin to twinkle in the grey cottage fires gleam now and then across the road now is my time thinks sir wilford i hope you are not frightened at riding in the dark he begins with a gush of originality not at all in the first place i don't call this grey twilight darkness and in the second place i feel myself quite safe in your care i am glad of that says sir wilford i am very glad you feel yourself safe with me sybil this is the casting of the die after this utterance of her christian name so wilford feels he has committed himself to the deed receding now were as difficult as to go on yes sybil i am glad for i want to be your protector all the days of my life i want this dear little hand taking the hand that droops carelessly at her side with gold-handled whip lightly held i want this hand for mine oh i think you must have seen ever so long ago that i love you i've made no secret of my attachment sybil you are the first woman i ever met that i would care to make mistress of the how you are the only woman i have ever asked the only woman i shall ever ask to be my wife oh stop stop sir wilford not one word more cries sybil forgive me for having let you say so much while he has been talking she has decided on her course a bold step but the only one open to her this young man is honourable generous-minded she will she must trust him with her secret forgive you sybil for what forgive me if you ever can i have been so wrong i have acted so meanly forgive me for not having understood you better for not having told you the truth about myself i have led you on perhaps most unwillingly but still i may have led you on to make this generous offer generous be hanged cries the impetuous sir wilford there's no generosity in a man trying to get the thing he most desires don't talk about leading me on sybil of course you led me on that is to say you couldn't help seeing that i love you to distraction and you've let me go on loving you there's no leading a fellow on in that you're like one of the stars up yonder and just let yourself be admired but you're not going to reject me sybil i can't believe that he does not believe it upon his own personal merits he has formed no decided opinion he knows that he is tolerably good-looking does justice to his tailor's handiwork rides straight to hounds and is free from vice but he puts himself out of the scale altogether and reckons upon his position and surroundings that there is any woman in yorkshire who would refuse to be mistress of the how and the how stables is more than he can believe you won't reject me sybil he repeats indeed sir wilfred i have no alternative i can make you but one answer and that is no oh come you can't mean it sybil i do mean it you're in love with some other fellow not that cur fred stormont i hope 
If I thought about Mr. Stormont at all, I should detest him. Who is it, then? Sir Wilford, will you keep a secret if I confide one to you? Have I any claim to be considered a gentleman? Yes, yes, I know I may trust you. Go on, says Sir Wilford, sunk in gloom. You know very little of my history, I think, Sir Wilford, began Sybil in a low but steady voice. Although you've done me the greatest honor in your power to confer upon me, perhaps all you know is that I've been adopted by my Uncle Stephen, and that he is likely to leave me a fortune. I have no certainty that he will do so, but I have every reason to believe it. Yes, yes, I know about all that. But you do not know, perhaps, that when my uncle came from India, I was absent from Redcastle. I had gone to London to get my living as a governess. It was a dreary life, and would have seemed drearier, I say, but for one event which happened to diversify it. I was weak enough to fall in love with a gentleman who had as little to marry upon as I had. Poor child! Passing fancy, romantic attachment. You'll outlive that, Sybil. It will outlive me, for we contrived to make the bond lasting. Without the knowledge of any of my family, I was foolish enough to get married. The man I married is the son of Mr. Trenchard's worst enemy. My only chance of inheriting my uncle's fortune was the concealment of my marriage. I have therefore contrived to keep the secret, and you are the first to whom I have ever revealed it. If you betray me, I am ruined. Betray you? What do you take me for? cries Sir Wilford. You are a married woman, and your husband is living? Yes. And he suffers you to keep up this deception, to stoop to this meanness? Forgive me. For calling things by their right names, yes, I forgive you. There are no words too hard for my conduct. And yet, perhaps, if you could measure the depths of misery I had sunk into before I made up my mind to try for Uncle Trenchard's fortune, even you might pity me. Pity. Yes, Sybil, I pity you with all my heart, but I can't help despising your husband. Do not despise him. What I have done has been done without his knowledge or consent. He only traced me to my present home a very little while ago, and then he told me that he would repudiate me and my fortune when the day came for me to possess it. And yet you continue the deception? Would it not be positive idiocy to abandon it just now, when the end is in all probability very near? My uncle has not many years to live. He looks rather shaky, poor old fellow. Liver, I dare say. Why should I make a revelation that would be a shock to him, and do no good to anyone else? If my husband really loves me, he will be true to me as I am to him, and all will be well for us by and by. And you'll secure the old man's money, says Sir Wilford. Trust a woman for looking after the main chance. You despise me, Sir Wilford, falters Sybil, humiliated. No, no, nothing of the kind. Only when one comes to talk of money, it takes a little of the bloom off, you know. I had looked up to you as an angel. 
something quite ethereal you know and when one comes down to pounds shillings and pence well it's rather a long way to come you know you'll keep my secret consider it buried in the deepest grave that ever was dug and if you are tempted to despise if you do despise me as i fear you must try to remember that you have never known what it is to be poor that there is a depth of misery abject fear for to-morrow's bread the dread of being turned out of one's wretched shelter into the street the horror of being clothed in rags driven to the workhouse consider that you have never known these things i have and my deception grew out of them if i told the truth to-morrow i might have to go back to all those unforgotten horrors if i play my part steadily to the end i may secure a happy future for my husband and myself upon my word it's a very trying position miss fonthorpe i feel for you with all my heart it would have been kinder to me if you had given me a hint of the truth a little sooner and spared me well spared me a very bitter disappointment yet i can but thank you for having trusted me at the last one word more sir wilford pray do not let my uncle suppose that you have asked me to be your wife he would never forgive me for my rejection of you i'll take care of that he shall think me the most miserable object in creation a male flirt a man who dangles about a pretty woman meaning nothing but his own amusement i'll bear the brunt of the old gentleman's anger miss fonthorpe rely upon it and if ever you want a friend remember that in spite of his disappointment wilfred cardonnel is yours to the death End of chapter thirty